classification of terms. Contractual terms are classified differently depending upon the context or jurisdiction. Terms establish conditions precedent. English, but not necessarily non-English, common law distinguishes between important conditions and warranties, with a breach of a condition by one party allowing the other to repudiate and be discharged while a warranty allows for remedies and damages but not complete discharge. Whether or not a term is a condition is determined in part by the party's intent. In a less technical sense, however, a condition is a generic term and a warranty is a promise. Not all language in the contract is determined to be a contractual term. Representations, which are often pre-contractual, are typically less strictly enforced than terms, and material misrepresentations historically were a cause of action for the tort of deceit. Warranties were enforced regardless of materiality. In modern United States law the distinction is less clear but warranties may be enforced more strictly. Statements of opinion may be viewed as mere puff. In specific circumstances these terms are used differently. For example, in English insurance law, violation of a condition precedent by an insured is a complete defense against the payment of claims. 160 In general insurance law, a warranty is a promise that must be complied with. In product transactions, warranties promise that the product will continue to function for a certain period of time. In the United Kingdom the courts determine whether a term is a condition or warranty, for example, an actress' obligation to perform the opening night of a theatrical production is a condition, but a singer's obligation to rehearse may be a warranty. Statute may also declare a term or nature of term to be a condition or warranty, for example, the Sale of Goods Act 1979 S15A provides that terms as to title, description, quality and sample are generally conditions. The United Kingdom has also contrived the concept of an intermediate term, also called denominate, first established in Hong Kong for shipping company Limited v Kawasaki Kisan Keisha Limited. Representations versus Warranties Statements of fact in a contract or in obtaining the contract are considered to be either warranties or representations. Traditionally, warranties are factual promises which are enforced through a contract legal action, regardless of materiality, intent, or reliance. Representations are traditionally pre-contractual statements that allow for a tort-based action, such as the tort of deceit, if the misrepresentation is negligent or fraudulent. Historically, a tort was the only action available, but by 1778, breach of warranty became a separate legal contractual action. In U.S. law, the distinction between the two is somewhat unclear. Warranties are viewed as primarily contract-based legal action while negligent or fraudulent misrepresentations are tort-based but there is a confusing mix of case law in the United States. In modern English law, sellers often avoid using the term represents in order to avoid claims under the Misrepresentation Act 1967, while in America warrants and represents is relatively common. Some modern commentators suggest avoiding the words and substituting state or agree, and some model forms do not use the words, however, others disagree. Statements in a contract may not be upheld if the court finds that the statements are subjective or promotional puffery. English courts may weigh the emphasis or relative knowledge in determining whether a statement is enforceable as part of the contract. In the English case of Bannerman v. White the court upheld a rejection by a buyer of hops which had been treated with sulfur since the buyer explicitly expressed the importance of this requirement. The relative knowledge of the parties may also be a factor, as in English case of Bisset v. Wilkinson where the court did not find misrepresentation when a seller said that farmland being sold would carry 2,000 sheep if worked by one team. The buyer was considered sufficiently knowledgeable to accept or reject the seller's opinion. Standard Terms and Contracts of Adhesion Standard form contracts contain boilerplate, which is a set of one-size-fits-all contract provisions. However, 
The term may also narrowly refer to conditions at the end of the contract which specify the governing law provision, venue, assignment and delegation, waiver of jury trial, notice, and force majeure. Restrictive provisions in contracts where the consumer has little negotiating power, contracts of adhesion, attract consumer protection scrutiny. Implied terms A term may either be expressed or implied. An express term is stated by the parties during negotiation or written in a contractual document. Implied terms are not stated but nevertheless form a provision of the contract. Terms may be implied due to the factual circumstances or conduct of the parties. In the case of BP Refinery, Western Port, Proprietary Limited v Shire of Hastings, the UK Privy Council, on appeal from Australia, proposed a five-stage test to determine situations where the facts of a case may imply terms. The classic tests have been the business efficacy test and the officious bystander test. Under the business efficacy test first proposed in the Moorcock, the minimum terms necessary to give business efficacy to the contract will be implied. Under the officious bystander test, named in Southern Foundries, 1926, Limited v Sherlock but actually originating in Rygate v. Union Manufacturing Company, Ramsbottom, Limited, a term can only be implied in fact if an officious bystander listening to the contract negotiations suggested that the term be included the parties would promptly agree. The difference between these tests is questionable. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Terms implied in law. Statutes or judicial rulings may create implied contractual terms, particularly in standardized relationships such as employment or shipping contracts. The Uniform Commercial Code of the United States also imposes an implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing in performance and enforcement of contracts covered by the Code. In addition, Australia, Israel, and India imply a similar good faith term through laws. In England, some contracts, insurance, and partnerships require utmost good faith while others may require good faith, employment contracts and agency. Most English contracts do not need any good faith, provided that the law is met. There is, however, an overarching concept of legitimate expectation. Most countries have statutes which deal directly with sale of goods, lease transactions, and trade practices. In the United States, prominent examples include, in the case of products, an implied warranty of merchantability and fitness for a particular purpose, and in the case of homes an implied warranty of habitability. In the United Kingdom, implied terms may be created by Statute, such as the Sale of Goods Act 1979, the Consumer Rights Act 2015 and the Hague-Bisbee Rules. Common law, such as the Moorcock, which introduced the business efficacy test. Previous dealings, as in Sperling v. Bradshaw. Custom, as in Hutton v. Warren. Terms implied by custom. A term may be implied on the basis of custom or usage in a particular market or context. In the Australian case of Constant Industries of Australia Proprietary Limited v. Norwich Winterthur, Aust, Limited, the requirements for a term to be implied by custom were set out. For a term to be implied by custom, it needs to be so well known and acquiesced in that everyone making a contract in that situation can reasonably be presumed to have imported the term into the contract. Third parties. The common law doctrine of privity of contract provides that only those who are party to a contract may sue or be sued on it. 
the leading case of Tweedle v. Atkinson immediately showed that the doctrine had the effect of defying the intent of the parties. In maritime law, the cases of Scruttons v. Midland Silicons and NZ Shipping v. Satterthwaite established how third parties could gain the protection of limitation clauses within a bill of lading. Some common law exceptions such as agency, assignment and negligence allowed some circumvention of privity rules, but the unpopular doctrine remained intact until it was amended by the contracts, Rights of Third Parties, Act 1999 which provides. A person who is not a party to a contract, a third party, may in his own right enforce a contract if a. The contract expressly provides that he may, or b. The contract purports to confer a benefit on him. Performance Performance varies according to the particular circumstances. While a contract is being performed, it is called an executory contract, and when it is completed it is an executed contract. In some cases there may be substantial performance but not complete performance, which allows the performing party to be partially compensated. Research in business and management has also paid attention to the influence of contracts on relationship development and performance. Defenses Vitiating factors constituting defenses to purported contract formation include Mistake, such as non est factum Incapacity, including mental incompetence and infancy-slash-minority Duress Undue influence Unconscionability Misrepresentation or fraud Frustration of purpose Such defenses operate to determine whether a purported contract is either 1. Void or 2. Voidable Void contracts cannot be ratified by either party. Voidable contracts can be ratified. Misrepresentation Misrepresentation means a false statement of fact made by one party to another party and has the effect of inducing that party into the contract. For example, under certain circumstances, false statements or promises made by a seller of goods regarding the quality or nature of the product that the seller has may constitute misrepresentation. A finding of misrepresentation allows for a remedy of rescission and sometimes damages depending on the type of misrepresentation. In a court of law, to prove misrepresentation and or fraud, there must be evidence that shows a claim was made, said claim was false, the party making the claim knew the claim was false, and that party's intention was for a transaction to occur based upon the false claim. There are two types of misrepresentation, fraud in the factum and fraud in inducement. Fraud in the factum focuses on whether the party alleging misrepresentation knew they were creating a contract. If the party did not know that they were entering into a contract, there is no meeting of the minds, and the contract is void. Fraud in inducement focuses on misrepresentation attempting to get the party to enter into the contract. Misrepresentation of a material fact, if the party knew the truth, that party would not have entered into the contract, makes a contract voidable. Assume two people, party A and party B, enter into a contract. Then, it is later determined that party A did not fully understand the facts and information described within the contract. If party B used this lack of understanding against party A to enter into the contract, Party A has the right to void the contract. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The foundational principle of caveat temptor, which means let the buyer beware, applies to all American transactions. 
In Lay Lobby, Oregon, the Supreme Court decided that the buyer did not have to inform the seller of information the buyer knew could affect the price of the product. According to Gordon V. Selico it is possible to misrepresent either by words or conduct. Generally, statements of opinion or intention are not statements of fact in the context of misrepresentation. If one party claims specialist knowledge on the topic discussed, then it is more likely for the courts to hold a statement of opinion by that party as a statement of fact. It is a fallacy that an opinion cannot be a statement of fact. If a statement is the honest expression of an opinion honestly entertained, it cannot be said that it involves any fraudulent misrepresentations of fact. For an innocent misrepresentation, the judge considers the likelihood a party would rely on the false claim and how significant the false claim was. Remedies for Misrepresentation Rescission is the principal remedy and damages are also available if a tort is established. In order to obtain relief, there must be a positive misrepresentation of law and the person to whom the representation was made must have been misled by and relied on this misrepresentation, public trustee V. Taylor. Contract law does not delineate any clear boundary as to what is considered an acceptable false claim or what is unacceptable. Therefore, the question is what types of false claims, or deceptions, will be significant enough to void a contract based on said deception. Advertisements utilizing puffing, or the practice of exaggerating certain things, fall under this question of possible false claims. Mistake A mistake is an incorrect understanding by one or more parties to a contract and may be used as grounds to invalidate the agreement. Common law has identified three types of mistake in contract, common mistake, mutual mistake, and unilateral mistake. Common mistakes occur when both parties hold the same mistaken belief of the facts. This is demonstrated in the case of Bell v. Lever Brothers Limited, which established that common mistake can only void a contract if the mistake of the subject matter was sufficiently fundamental to render its identity different from what was contracted, making the performance of the contract impossible. In Great Peace Shipping Limited v. Zav Lyris Salvage, International, Limited, the court held that the common law will grant relief against common mistake, if the test in Bell v. Lever Brothers Limited is made out. If one party has knowledge and the other does not, and the party with the knowledge promises or guarantees the existence of the subject matter, that party will be in breach if the subject matter does not exist. Mutual mistake occurs when both parties of a contract are mistaken as to the terms. Each believes they are contracting to something different. Courts usually try to uphold such mistakes if a reasonable interpretation of the terms can be found. However, a contract based on a mutual mistake in judgment does not cause the contract to be voidable by the party that is adversely affected. See Raffles v. Witchelhouse. Unilateral mistake occurs when only one party to a contract is mistaken as to the terms or subject matter. The courts will uphold such a contract unless it was determined that the non-mistaken party was aware of the mistake and tried to take advantage of the mistake. It is also possible for a contract to be void if there was a mistake in the identity of the contracting party. An example is in Lewis v. Avery where Lord Denning Mr. held that the contract can only be voided if the plaintiff can show that, at the time of agreement, the plaintiff believed the other party's identity was of vital importance. A mere mistaken belief as to the credibility of the other party is not sufficient. Duress and undue influence Duress has been defined as a threat of harm made to compel a person to do something against his or her will or judgment, especially, a wrongful threat made by one person to compel a manifestation of seeming assent by another person to a transaction without real volition. An example is in Barden v. Armstrong in which a person was threatened with death if they did not sign the contract. An innocent party wishing to set aside a contract for duress to the person only needs to prove that the threat was made and that it was a reason for entry into the contract, 
the burden of proof then shifts to the other party to prove that the threat had no effect in causing the party to enter into the contract. There can also be duress to goods and sometimes, economic duress. Undue influence is an equitable doctrine that involves one person taking advantage of a position of power over another person through a special relationship such as between parent and child or solicitor and client. As an equitable doctrine, the court has discretion. When no special relationship exists, the question is whether there was a relationship of such trust and confidence that it should give rise to such a presumption. Unconscionable dealing. In Australian law, a contract can be set aside due to unconscionable dealing. Firstly, the claimant must show that they were under a special disability, the test for this being that they were unable to act in their best interest. Secondly, the claimant must show that the defendant took advantage of this special disability. Illegal contracts. If based on an illegal purpose or contrary to public policy, a contract is void. In the 1996 Canadian case of Royal Bank of Canada v. Newell a woman forged her husband's signature, and her husband agreed to assume all liability and responsibility for the forged checks. However, the agreement was unenforceable as it was intended to stifle a criminal prosecution, and the bank was forced to return the payments made by the husband. Wage and forfeiting the right to workmen's compensation in cases where workmen's compensation is due. Remedies for defendants on defenses. There can be four different ways in which contracts can be set aside. A contract may be deemed void, voidable, unenforceable or ineffective. Voidness implies that a contract never came into existence. Voidability implies that one or both parties may declare a contract ineffective at their wish. Kill fees are paid by magazine publishers to authors when their articles are submitted on time but are subsequently not used for publication. When this occurs, the magazine cannot claim copyright for the killed assignment. Unenforceability implies that neither party may have recourse to a court for a remedy. Ineffectiveness implies that the contract terminates by order of a court where a public body has failed to satisfy public procurement law. To rescind is to set aside or unmake a contract. In the U.S., one unusual type of unenforceable contract is a personal employment contract to work as a spy or secret agent. This is because the very secrecy of the contract is a condition of the contract, in order to maintain plausible deniability. If the spy subsequently sues the government on the contract over issues like salary or benefits, then the spy has breached the contract by revealing its existence. It is thus unenforceable on that ground, as well as the public policy of maintaining national security since a disgruntled agent might try to reveal all the government's secrets during his-slash-her lawsuit. Other types of unenforceable employment contracts include contracts agreeing to work for less than minimum. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The content of this podcast was last edited on March 29, 2020. This work is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike version 4.0 license.